Welcome to Seeking Wellness Podcast, a platform for illuminating the diverse ways people are thriving by sharing the stories of the practitioners who bring health and connection to thousands around the world. I want to begin by recognizing ancestors past and present and start from a place of gratitude for the place that we're in, for the time that we're sharing. May this be a conversation of love and respect and understanding as we continue to better understand the wellness practices that are available for us in this world and the options available for connection. Welcome everyone to the Seeking Wellness Podcast. I have with us Lucine Usani, and Lucine and I know each other from the Five Rhythms world. And would you give us a quick introduction to you, where you grew up, and the practice that you are a facilitator of? You're a practitioner of Five Rhythms, what is it, and a short overview. I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, USA. But I think it's also probably important to mention that I lived for 10 plus years in South America. So I feel that a lot of the influence of who I am, what I do, who I am, how I offer, what I offer is very much influenced by where I come from and what I learned along the way. So I teach the five rhythms as a practice. I also work as a wellness coach. And I think both of those practices are, those are titles, like I'm certified as a five rhythms teacher and I'm certified as a coach, but if you were to look at really like what's the essence of what I do, I think it's very much influenced by, you know, over 10 years of working with indigenous cultures and plant medicines and studying the energetic practices of um, of those shamanic cultures. It's influenced by, uh, I'm also a yoga teacher, so my interest in anatomy and understanding how things move and shape the body comes from that training. Um, but I also worked a long time in Colombia with trauma, with people who were affected by the armed conflict. And so I think a lot of my who I, it is I, who I am now and what it is I'm passionate about is influenced by all of that kind of history that I traversed to get to where I am now. So even though I don't you know, call myself a yoga teacher anymore or I don't call myself a shamanic practitioner um, or even like a trauma therapist, all of that very much influences what I offer people and what I'm interested in. Thank you. Do you have a title that you would, you know, use to describe yourself? Um, I guess, well, I call myself a coach. I call myself an embodiment coach. Um, Embodiment, to me, captures this idea of um, how we sense and move through not just a physical experience, but an emotional experience, energetic experiences, how we can use the body Um, as a resource and also as a channel like how do we keep our physical channels clear how do we keep our emotional channels clear Um, to be able to 
be a vessel, you know, for life force. And that I think is, is true in a lot of the kind of ancient yogic traditions. It was the same. It's like, you know, you have an energetic body, you have a physical body, you have an emotional body, and you have to kind of keep clearing out the sheaths. We have these different sheaths. Like, like layers? layers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So we have like our physical sheath. Yeah. That's kind of like the most gross, like dense. Yeah. And then like we have an emotional sheath. And, you know, most of us can when we're actually encouraged to do it, can feel there's a physical reaction when we have emotions, right? Like there's, when we're about to cry, we feel a knot in our throat. Mm. And when we're feeling mm. anxious, we feel that, you know, right here in the tummy. And then we all have our own personal individual one. It's just that emotion was stored in the body. So it's like, as you move further and further out with these sheaths, it becomes more and more subtle. So as you start, you know, and as people get more and more familiar with the work, so this is now more like the embodiment coaching that I was talking about when you asked me my title is more that direct one-on-one, -on -one, like how do you personally experience this? Tell me, how did you get into this? Just help us understand your journey into wellness, um, into embodiment coach and uh, five rhythms facilitator. I believe that a lot of my, what brought me into this work was my own experiences experiences of trauma and how that mean had that impacted on my body um, so for years especially in my late teens and early 20s I had a lot of anxiety and I, I suffered from anxiety attacks I had an eating disorder like I stored uh, everything that I was saying earlier was like everything was just in my body and I constantly had that feeling of kind of overwhelm by my inner experience. Um, I felt very out of control. Like I, you know, couldn't, like I couldn't contain or manage my own inner experience. Um, and I know that for myself, things like talk therapy did nothing. Like my mind is really fast, it's really sharp, it's really clear, it knows all the right things. And that didn't touch my, well, my experience. Um, did someone say, hey, you should try this? Did you see a flyer on the wall? Like what was the, how did you hear about well, other uh, ways of... I'm getting to that. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. To that. <laughs> so one of the things that I sort of stumbled into initially was yoga. So I found, I can't even remember how I went to my first, like I remember my first yoga class though. And it was that first kind of time that I felt that there is a still point inside of myself. Um, and I knew there was a relationship between moving the body, like I really needed to move my body a lot, and then I could feel still. So mm. for me, initially, yoga was that place um, where I think it was really by beginning to inhabit my body that I was able to kind of move through things. So for me, yoga plays a really big, important part of my journey. I think once you start to open the door to that connection as well, it becomes a lot harder to ignore. So it is a bit like Pandora's box, you know, it's like 
there's all kinds of things that you can do to dissociate um, and that's a strong word but I think in many ways whether we're calling it numbing or dissociating there's a lot of ways that we can just like you know become walking heads and then I think once you sort of decide to get in there and inhabit this experience it's kind of like there's no turning back yeah so from there I just wanted to comment I think I think my understanding of that is that you're when you interact with your body and you go down that like therapeutic pathway we're opening up the laneways for communication and we get feedback you know right. we like the 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 megaphone gets a lot bigger yeah. we can hear more we're more we're more aware we're literally increasing our consciousness about how our body is feeling and about the emotions that we're experiencing and about the thoughts that happen it's just like that's you know if if there's a definition of enlightenment i think it's like you know more information and you're more aware and you're um at a higher consciousness and that comes from these practices I think the other part about when we talk about consciousness, there's this idea for me as well is that once you bring something out of the unconscious, unconscious into the conscious, then you have choice. Mm. And that's a a gift and it's also a burden because it's like once you become aware of what different behaviors and habits and ways of being how they're affecting you then it's like you know well how's that working for you yeah like you actually have to you're gonna keep doing this motherfucker like yeah yeah. it's yeah (laughs) and so i think um that to me i describe this to people all the time in coaching actually to me that's actually the most difficult point of the change process can i uh, can i just share something that um i'm empathizing with so shannon my wife says first meditation came from my alcohol drinking and i was like okay no big deal like whatever i don't really like feel that good anyway so i let that go then meditation came from my weed smoking and i was like i kind of enjoy it but i really shouldn't be doing it so i'll let that go then meditation came from my hot chips and i was like no <laughs> i am not ready to let go of these but it's true it's like when you when you are aware of the effect of these things on your body or the way that you do these things and its effect on yourself or other people yeah you just like you have a choice are you gonna yeah. keep doing it yeah <laughs> and that's where and the other thing i want to say about that is that that's where often i think where people go wrong is that judgment and shame can creep in. So when we become aware that we're doing things that are detrimental to ourselves, and often, again, these are things that we've, there's, these are habits or behaviors that we've learned, you know, some at some point in our lives, whether because they were passed on to our family or whether they were coping mechanisms. But then when we become aware of them, there's this whole stage where not only do we get to choose, but there's the potential to feel guilty or ashamed or whatever. And that that's the shit that I tell people is like really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like, it's so counterproductive to the change process. Like shame slows things down. Self-judgment slows things down to the point. It's just agonizing. Mm. So... 
it's in those moments of awareness where self-compassion is so important more and more i'm starting to see things like a spiral like i think often we revisit the same place a lot in a change process but we're always at a different point on the spiral so it might feel the same but something's a little bit different so there are certain behaviors that's like you kind of spiral around and it's like not not ready to change that and you spiral around to it again a little while later and it's like that still not ready but something's a little bit different and you know right otherwise our minds are going to try to control everything because it's like well it's that whole thing of like okay well if i let go who's going to catch me right do you feel like like your embodiment practice is a mindful or a mindless practice, or is it both? Um, I times, I maybe. see what you kind of mean by mindless, but I think because we talk about letting go of the mind, or right. But I think it's actually about um, it's actually not letting go of the mind. It's integrating the mind, so. We don't actually want the mind. We don't ever want the mind to go away. We want the mind to be an integral part of this whole working system. We just don't want it dominating. Right. So maybe the mind goes and sits in the back seat for a little while. A little balancing out mind yeah. and body. Yeah. Let the body lead for a second. Let the body drive. Yes. Let the mind sit in the passenger seat as opposed to what we, which is our normal, most people's normal operating system which is mind in the driver's seat bringing the body along kind right of thing. right, right. Overriding. overriding overriding yeah. all uh-huh. the time so yeah this is it might feel like letting go of the mind but we, i mean we don't want that like, no we want to integrate is it totally cool useful for discernment for understanding for yeah cool mm. this is awesome that's mm. great yeah i will speak for myself i have um greatly appreciated the connection that I've made and the listening that I'm now able to do more of since practicing um, Five Rhythms about a year or so ago. So let's talk about Five Rhythms. What do you love about Five Rhythms? We could be here all day if I start with that. You know, I already said that I had an embodiment practice when I came to Five Rhythms. Um, So for me, there's... You which was, I never which told was you the yoga? story. Which was yoga? Yeah, so okay. I had my yoga practice, and I was actually teaching yoga at the time. And then I was living in northern England. So I had left Colombia, which was like the land of color and, you know, very effusive, expressive. And I went to go move to northern England to do master's degree in conflict resolution, which was like the polar opposites, like gray, cold, cold, (laughs) rainy. And I just felt myself like, and I was in it, you know, I was still within my own, you know, personal, emotional challenges. And I felt myself like, it was like I was really numb. Like I, I didn't feel much. I felt like that kind of gray color that everything was around me. It just felt like life was gray. Mm. And then a friend of mine, um, who's actually a mental health nurse, but she was my a housemate, said to me, um, I want to take you to this thing. You should need to try this thing. I don't even know if she told me the name, but I was just like, yeah, cool, let's go. <laughs> and the, the sensation that I remember having so clearly, it was like someone turned on 
the light switch and all the color came back. And in that class, I know that I cried, I know that I shouted, and I know that I laughed, and I know that I felt connected to people. And it was like, that was the first time that I had probably felt any of those things for probably a year. Like, I don't think I even knew what we were doing. You know, there was no like... <laughs> theory, no theory, yeah, just no, pure practice. Yeah, it was just, and this is the thing that I feel like is so powerful with people is like, that thing that I said to you about, I'm not teaching you anything. I'm helping you to remember. It's like your body knows how to move through stuff. Your body knows how to, like, when you stop censoring yourself, your body will find its way through. Like, the intelligence of this system is just insane. So it will show you how to work something out. It will put you, if you let it, in really strange positions or it will shake you or it will, you know, roll you around. I remember I spent a year of my life when I was going through this deep grief process where I was just rolling. I don't even know still what that was, but, you know, I know that developmentally that there's a stage of life where we roll around a lot. And if I just let my body do what it knows how to do, it's... it's teaching me stuff so i think what i love about it is the simplicity of it the accessibility of it the other thing i love about the five rhythms i mean we could seriously be here all day <laughs> is that gabrielle roth is, who founded it created this really she created all these maps so i teach um the the map that the waves map which is all about embodiment and in the waves map there's a physical gateway that you can go okay focus all your attention on your feet just focus on moving your feet keep moving your feet and you start the the essence of this energy of flow this fluid continual movement focus your energy in your hips you know and in this part of your body which you know in most traditions it's like your power center your the fire in your belly like focus your energy here move from here and you get into this essential energy of of staccato you know focus your energy on releasing your head and just all of like the weight feeling the weight of your head and surrendering that, softening all that area, and you're in the energy of chaos. And mm. it's so simple. Like there's not, again, there's not this big philosophy, but yet there's something that you can anchor into. So for people who are not used to being in a, you know, an, a free creative dance class where there's no steps, it's something for them to follow that allows them to let go. It's like we need to hold on to something so that we can let go of our heads. And you also have to hold the group and, and participants have to feel held by you, the, the facilitator, mm. in order to release and let go of mm. all the shit that we bring with us, the baggage that we bring with us. You're right. The like locked off, no, 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 no. I'm not going to show you like how my booty shakes. I'm not going to show you like my hat, my true joy, ecstasy, like, yeah. you know, because that's not appropriate in society. You know, yeah. we have these narratives. And so as facilitators, we, you know, we have to like hold the space yeah. and, um, and invite and also direct. And that's like the, the sweetness. That's the, the uniqueness of you offering your offering mm. in 
a class or in a session. So what can uh, uh, someone expect out of a Five Rhythms experience with you? Can I answer something else first? This is, I guess, a still follow-on of what I love about the Five Rhythms, but there's something that I'm learning as a facilitator, which is it's a particular way of holding the space and, and being receptive that has to do with, and I'm learning that this is true in my facilitation, my five rhythms, it's also true in my coaching, is that it's really important to have a process that you trust. So I trust the five rhythms wave. Like I know that if you move people through flowing and eventually you build up the energy and everyone's got like in this staccato energy where people are really like, they're getting a bit louder, they're getting a bit bigger, they're wanting to connect, they're making, like, they're suddenly reaching out to each other, and then you build them to chaos. And I know that if you, if you let people go long enough in chaos, and sometimes it takes a while, but if you let them just go in chaos and you give them permission to just let go, that they will eventually lighten up and they will, like, come through something. And I know that you know, once they kind of expand in that way and they find joy, that eventually they'll want to kind of come back in and settle that in. And and I, I trust that process. So there's a way in which I don't have to get into my head about wondering how am I, what am I, like it doesn't, it's not about me. I can trust a process that allows me to stand back and be more in a place of witness Mm. so that I am not in my head and things do come come through to be said when they need to be said because I'm not thinking about what needs to happen next. Um, And that's, you know, in terms of more of the details, yeah, sometimes it's about, you know, a different, maybe we need a different track now or maybe we need longer stillness or maybe, but in terms of knowing that I trust the process, it just gives me this huge freedom to then really let go into that trust and allow what needs to come through. And I feel like that that works for me as well with the coaching process. It's like I know enough now to know that if I kind of follow this particular flow, like we're gonna get we're gonna get to where we need to go. Um, and that allows me to be less in my head about things and less um, second, like I don't have to second guess, um, which makes it both more enjoyable for me as, you know, as a facilitator, but also just makes it so much more powerful because I'm just, I'm riding the wave with everyone else. Hmm. Well, cool. So how do you prepare for something like that? Um, How do you prepare for your sessions? Okay, so I, for the five rhythms, I um, I do prepare music. So I have, I know enough now to, you know, to know how to build a wave. Um, and so interestingly, I always have to have that as my, my backup so that I know that I'm not going to ever have to think. I'm not going to have to use that part of my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that allows me... So all the things that I'm doing are like setting myself up so that I can be totally relaxed and be 
receptive. Um, I connect a lot with my connection to earth and to um, the kind of wisdom and information that speaks through the earth and through plants. I also connect to um, the people that I've had through my life as guides, including Gabriel Roth. And ask, I really, it's a prayer at the beginning of every class. And my prayer is to be of service. I set an intention on a particular theme. And when I say I set an intention, it's often something that I see happening in the world around me. So I'll witness a lot of people. Um, at the moment, a lot of my themes are around chaos because I, I believe, especially in Australia, we started off the year in full chaos and it doesn't really seem to me like that's slowing down. And so what I see around me is people struggling to find, you know, a meaningful, either an offering or a meaningful response or just to stay grounded amongst it all. Um, and so it seems to me like the offering at the moment is how do we find our ground in chaos? How do we find our center? How do we use chaos rather than doing what I think we've tried to do for millennia, which is control chaos, mm. <laughs> manage or numb from it, dissociate, pretend it's not happening. Watch Netflix. Watch Netflix. Yeah. You know, there's 87,000 ways that we numb. And again, you know, it's knowing that, that with self-compassion, you know, that we often do those things because we're overwhelmed by it. So in order for people to find a meaningful way through chaos, they have to know that there's a process that they can trust that's going to move them through. Otherwise, like, you know, this is one of the things in the quote that I read in class. It's like, why would you let go? if you felt like it, you were going to be swept into oblivion. Mm. So there, there needs to be, and that's again why I go back to this idea of the wave. Like, I trust that if you go through chaos, you will come out into lyrical, into that expansive, joyous place. So I can lead people with that total conviction that if we go in, we're coming through and I think that, you know, initially, you know, first time, having someone else have that conviction is probably helpful. And then I think as a practitioner, as someone who does this regularly enough, you kind of know now, like, okay. You're saying start with yourself to know that you can go through this process authentically and then you can be able to help and facilitate others to do it. Is that what you're, is that what you're saying? Well, I'm, I'm saying that I... As a facilitator, I can offer that confidence because I've done it enough myself, right. because I've led people through it enough themselves. I think for someone to come the first time, all they, ha all they can really do is, you know, trust, you know, take my word for it and trust what's happening in the space yeah. until they have their own experience. And then, 
as they have their own experience, you know, and they're like, oh, wow, I feel so much better for that. Um, the next time becomes easier and the next time becomes easier. So I think it is like, that's, that's another piece that I'll say. It's like, we can't let go of our heads until we know that we have a resource that we're letting go into, to, right, into. Right. Yeah. I feel really strongly that this work is for everyone, for everybody. So I get the, the biggest struggles I get starting with just like with five rhythms is people are like, oh, cool, you do dance. I don't dance. And I'm like, no, 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 you dance. Yep. Everyone dances. Yep. Um, so I feel like there's already this self-selection that happens. Even through teaching a weekly class where people come of their own volition, I already feel like I'm preaching to the converted, which, not that I'm preaching, but the... I know what you mean. You're saying that you, you're... You, the people who are there are already there because in some way, or form, way, shape, or form, they're open to this idea that, you know, there's a connection between their body and their mind and, you know, etc. Like, often they're... Not always, but often they're people who've been exposed to a lot of these kinds of practices. Now, that's great, and I love being in that community, and there's something really powerful about being in community with that. And I think people do get a lot from just being together. Like, there's that's the aspect of well, about this being, you know, I talk about having a daily practice. Like, that's really important and individualized. Like, this is my personal practice. It's also really important that we practice it collectively and that we're like publicly because I think there are also a lot of people who are like oh yeah I dance in my lounge room and it's like well that's cool now do that dance with other people yeah, the like witness. there's this whole other w healing that's available like that's what I hear from people all the time of like oh yeah no I'm a lounge room dancer only or I only dance when I'm drunk and it's like what is that that makes dancing like it's, I'm not asking you to take a crap in front of a group of people. It's like, you're, there's something shameful about it. For that reason, there's so much power to reclaim from that. Wow. No, yeah. <laughs> like, Seriously. how powerful is it to do something that you've always felt like you couldn't do? And suddenly you go do it and you go, oh, wow, well. If I don't have to be scared of that anymore, like what else, what else is exactly. possible? See, okay, I just want to interject for a second because that is exactly the experience that I get when I talk to people about singing. So I say, do you like to sing? And people respond, oh, I can't sing. And I'm like, I didn't fucking ask you if you can or cannot sing. I asked if you enjoy the mm -hmm. act of doing it. And... When we are in an empowered place of movement, of singing, of whatever that practice is, we open up and realize that there's so many more things are possible. It's like you don't know that it's possible until you experience it. Mm. And then you experience it and you're like, oh, wait a second. That's a shitty map that I've been like walking on for my mm. whole life. Right. Why, what else is possible? Right. And... Um, and that I've definitely experienced that my, myself with, with five rhythms. Like I didn't know that I was a dancer. I'm a dancer. 
Yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm a dancer. Yeah, you are. It's amazing. Yeah. And I never in my life ever thought of that. Yeah. You know, until I was welcomed into a space that was intentionally guided, mm-hmm. you know, and I was held, and the community and the group who was also there who subscribed to the ideals and vision and rules and, you know, practice itself also held me and I held them mm. and we went on this journey together and then I was like oh wait I'm a dancer I th- see myself in a new way I, th- yeah. I think other things are possible and it's to me it's not even about being a dancer or not being a dancer it's like I have access to all of this other information whereas you know I, I, it's like this crazy concept to me that like you know God or the universe or whoever you believe in it gave us this whole like amazing equipment but we're just meant to use like what eight percent of it like our conscious mind our conscious thoughts are like seven or eight percent of our you know whole experience yeah and that's what we're supposed to run off of like what so what i struggle with is i have this vision that People who are making decisions about where, you know, the direction of companies, about the direction of politics, people who are in this leadership capacity that are making choices that influence other people, they damn well better be doing it with that full potential, not with that 8% of what they already know. Because our conscious mind only knows what it already has experienced as opposed to everything else that comes through your intuitive knowing, you know, mm. the neural receptors that are in your gut, like all of this stuff that we have access to, what world will we be living in if people were making choices that were affecting, you know, the world from their full capacity? I want to be in service to that. I want to be part of that transformation because I want that for my children and for my children's children that like they can live in a world where trusting your gut is like not a thing that hippies do but that like we are able to be these fully expressed human beings because when you get into your body and when you get into and it's not just the intuition and the you get into your heart like by the end of a of a movement class people are feeling connected to each other like the number of times that people sit in the circle at the end and say i feel so much love for you guys and i don't even know your name like what kind of world will we be living in if we actually went through this process of feeling our connection to one another before we made choices that were going to affect seven generations. I see the capacity of this work to be so much fucking bigger than it's a, a Sunday, little fun Sunday yeah, dance, dance class, thing that right. I do. And so, right. and this is also my personal struggle. I am like, I want to be, I want to be there. I want me personally to be there, but I want us collectively to be there. And I struggle with, like, baby steps. Right. Wow. For me, I think the biggest point that I'm trying to make to people who come to my classes um, is that this is a practice. Like, 
it's not something that you come to once a week or once a month. Like I have a daily embodiment practice and that doesn't look like two hours of dancing every day. Like most days, I'm like everyone else. I have kids. I have to drive places. I have to do the shopping. I have to clean up. Yeah. I have work. I have to sit in front of the computer. So an embodiment practice can be 10 to 15 minutes of you know, rolling around on the floor with my foam roller, feeling what's in my body, breathing. Sometimes it's got music. Sometimes it's longer and I do what, you know, looks to be more like a dance practice. And sometimes I cry and, you know, but there's always, it's, it's like, you don't do this just once a week and call it done. And that's, that's because again, it's, it's like, this is a kind of communication system. So, like you know it's uh, someone said in the group circle last week it's like wow from seven in seven days it's amazing how much builds up you know it's like if you go seven days between listening to your body and then listening to your body again um those channels are getting filled up with information with experience and um so that's the biggest thing i think it's just this is like this is a practice that needs to be repeated you know my perception is in a daily way um but at least you know regularly enough that you're reinforcing that feedback loop Mm -hmm. as opposed to just going for kind of a fun experience right because and five rhythms from my perspective can be really fun it is really fun um but um, I think some of the transformational elements of it come about with dedicated practice and regular practice. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like that to me is the icing on the cake, like coming together in a group and dancing and, and having, you know, whatever you have, it's not always fun, but often there is an aspect of it, you know, that's really fun. That's like, yeah, that's, I mean, no one said spiritual practice had to be suffering. Did they? Yeah. I think one of my favorite quotes is from Buddhism is pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Oh, nice. Yeah. So the word suffering, you actually brought that up, I think, in a, in a, I think, I feel like I've heard that from you recently, but I, or maybe I've seen it from someone else, but I, I agree. I think that it's a choice. Suffering yeah. is a very different um, word and a different experience than pain. Pain is inevitable. Yeah. We will experience it. Um, and and that's why these practices are available to us, which is really cool. And then that's also a, a distinction that I would make between, um, you know, I believe in the teaching of the five rhythms. Um, we're not just looking for ecstasy. Uh, ecstasy is there, but it comes by moving through whatever else is there. So that experience of like, you know, whatever is in the body, whatever's there to be experienced, once we move through that, it's often the contrast, it's like the free, the feeling of freedom that we get when we've been bound up is ecstatic. The feeling of, you know, feeling open and available to connect when we've been you know, withdrawn and protected, that's ecstatic. We can't have one without the other. Hmm. So I don't even think there's, yeah, there's no way to seek, you know, the the ecstasy without the 
pain. The journey to to ecstasy and through it and back down. I think yeah. that that's the wave, you know. So where do you get inspiration? How do you keep yourself inspired? Uh, my practice uh, and practicing with other facilitators because I think I am other embodiment facilitators in general but specifically five rhythms because that's my practice. Um, that's, that's a big one. I have to practice. I have to have my own personal practice and I have to have a group practice that I go to to stay connected to what that's like as a participant. Like I have to stay, right. I have to be a student. Because every time you go as well, like you get to have the experience of like, you know, that students have of like, oh, I don't like that song or oh, like these people are too close to me. And then you're more aware of yeah, what the participants you, yeah, would feel you, in the future, right? Yeah, you know that experience and you can speak to that experience. Yeah. Um, so you have to be both an uh, someone who offers and also receives at times to be able to understand what the experience is. Yeah, that's how you. Yeah, okay. and, yeah. I think it keeps you always, um, yeah, able to see things from both perspectives. I think it's also really useful for me personally to do new things as well because it keeps you in that beginner's mindset of mm. like to be to kind of like fumble around I'm trying to think of some things that I did recently yeah, just different embodiment practices that you know like to do an Alexander technique thing or to do a, something that I'm like felt in Christ where I'm like uh, I have to activate different parts of my awareness that keeps me in that beginner's mind I have no idea what those Alexander and felt in Christ just so you know um, well, there are some people that you should interview. I'll give you some names. Yeah? Um, cool. <laughs> and what was the other thing that I was going to say? My, I mean, the shamanic work that I do, like that's my personal practice as well. I really, more than ever at this time, I just have to keep reconnecting to this idea that, like, I'm not the source of, I am not the source of, I mean, I am the source of life, but there's a there's a larger source of life that comes through me. And so when I reconnect to my connection to the earth and to information and wisdom that comes through there, it's like it's less... <laughs> I, I use this example to someone of like, you're, it's like you're running on your um, reserve battery. It's like when you're trying to source everything through yourself... Like, that's a pretty limited resource. Like, my, you know, everything, my knowing, my energy supply is finite. But when I tap into this, like, the resource that is nature, the information that's there and the energy that's there, and that it's, like, infinite. So learning how to move that energy through the body and move things out of the body and back through, um, that helps me to stay constantly, I don't even know if I'd say inspired. I mean, I am inspired, but it's also like, Learning. I'm resourced. Yeah. I'm resourced. Yeah. Like, I don't ever feel depleted at the end of teaching or at the end of offering a coaching session. I feel more energized because I'm not giving from my finite energy supply. I'm, I'm 
I'm like letting energy come through me that's that then I actually benefit from as well. Well, fucking A. <laughs> Part of me wants to just end there. I think that sounds good. Thank you. This has been wonderful. <laughs> Where can people know more about you and what you offer currently and stay um, a part of your journey? Um, well, people can check my website, which is info, uh, sorry, it's five, five rhythms with lucine.com, or they can email me, which is the info at five rhythms with lucine.com, which is what I nearly said, or Instagram or Facebook, all of those five rhythms with lucine. Um, but yeah, I think especially for that more, um, yeah, the, the kind of more individualized or personalized work, you know, you can look at what I do and get a sense of what I do. But I think I would say to people, if you're interested in, in that kind of deeper work, just get in touch. And come. Come. Yeah, come, come. and experience yeah, it for yourself. Like, yeah, you can look at it online. It doesn't translate. It doesn't, yeah. I agree. I've been there. I actually have helped make some of these videos. It does not translate to the energy and experience of being in that in that environment. Yeah, it's specifically with you leading, and I think that that's important. And I just want to say thank you because um, I have not been to like every five rhythms, you know, or ecstatic dance gathering that is available on this earth. But the ones that I have been to um, are wonderful. But there's a, a particular uniqueness mm -hmm. about the way that you um, listen to the group and observe the group and go with us on that journey and it's unique and deep and powerful and transformative every single time and I've always felt something mm. of benefit um, well and, yeah. and so, so do you. I I mean and I appreciate your acknowledgement but I just like all of that I just keep giving that back you know because it's it really is like I am amazed every week I am amazed every week at what happens and what comes through. And the reason why I can be amazed is because I'm not trying to own it. I'm just letting it come through. And, and at the end, I'm like, whoa, that was awesome. And, you know, I'm not saying I have no role in that, but my role is to keep the channels clear to be able to be in service to what is coming through mm. so yeah i really I want to know more about like how you keep the channels clear and like all these things because it's just that'd be the next episode. yeah next episode <laughs> um, <Stay tuned. laughs> cool um is there any what other cool shits out there that you think i should go explore i mean so this is you know the seeking wellness podcast it's uh, trying to explore the different ways that people are seeking meaning and mm -hmm. and, and health and wellness and a higher sense of connectedness and you know different practices that are out there so what's next what does lucine say i should go check it out um i think there's i mean there's a lot of amazing somatic work to be explored somatic experiencing is one that i'm interested in which is specifically about kind of moving stuck energy often trauma energy through the body. Mm -hmm. uh, Body-mind centering, which is the work of body-brain-bridge-coed, which is mo much more on the subtle energetic, like tuning into our organ systems, tuning into um, the developmental movement, tuning into like 
what's inside of the bones. Like it's very subtle energetic work. Uh, the Alexander Technique um, and Feldenkrais, which are more kind of about alignment and sensing you know, where things are out of alignment and helping your body structurally, anatomically to align better. Cool. You? And then, of course, the Lucene Usani method. Correct. Which is coming soon one day. Coming soon. <laughs> awesome. I'm not sure if I'd name it after me. Yeah. That feels a little bit too. You can name it after me. Okay. The next year, nine seven technique. I call it Babs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get down with Babs. That's for you, Babs. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. That's my mom. Babs, Barbara. Okay. Cool. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate it. Seeking Wellness Podcast number one done. Peace, bitches. <laughs>